Would you touch your neighbor and say, the seed you sow will be the future you hold. Touch your other neighbor and say, the seed you sow will be the future you hold. How many believes that today? Your seed is the potential promise of your future. If you don't have a seed, you have no future. If you don't plant the seed, you'll have the promise of a future and still have no future. The temptation will always be to eat the seed that you know that you have rather than wait for the harvest that it will bring. And I'm going to say this to you because um, this ministry stands here today. Faith Builders is here today because that woman and myself decided to sow seeds early on in our walk with God and then into the ministry and so on from all kinds of aspects. I mean, sowing seed is financial, but it's more than that. It's your time and your talent as well as your treasure. God sees your life as a seed. Somebody say amen. And so we were willing to sow seed early on, and many know our story. And just for, so, for sake of those that may not know, uh, we started a ministry with my, with my folks back in 1989 in Beloit, Wisconsin. The church is still there today, and it is uh, one of our sister churches and very much connected to it still. And uh, Pastor Terry and Rachel Morehouse run that ministry now, and they're great, great friends of ours. But we um, were there day one, July 4th weekend, 1989. It was hot. I remember being hot. And we were in, in, a, in a townhouse building, uh, is what they called it. It was outside of the city of Beloit. And we met in the basement. The reason why we met in the basement, because it was a little cooler than on top. Come on, someone say amen. There was no air conditioning. So about 15 of us or 20 of us met down in this, this basement. And that's where the church was birthed. And then we went into our first phase of our ministry. And, and there were a lot of needs. Once we had, you know, we, we were raising money for the, for the first phase and bought some property. And, and this is just a small uh, building at first. I sat about 120 people. Had a couple offices and a little bit of a, of a lobby, tiny lobby, and a couple bathrooms. That's really, and I had a kitchen. That's about all that I had. And, um, and so, but there were needs that needed to be fulfilled once we moved into the building, far, far greater than the ones we had. We were, we were meeting at the time, as we are raising money, we were meeting in a school building, and uh, uh, we were in the, in the uh, townhouse, about th townhouse, the town building, for about three months, and then we went into a, uh, a Christian school building. And there, we met into the auditorium. So we actually rented it and rented a few rooms for the kids and all of that. Our first job responsibility that my parents put us to work to do was to take care of the bathroom. So our desire was ministry and to do things for God. But the first task that were given to us was to make sure the toilets were flushed. Hallelujah. And by the way, I want to say a big, 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 huge thank you to all of our First Impressions crew that week after week clean our bathrooms, our floors, scrub. I'm giving them a bigger hand on that, y'all. Vacuum. You wouldn't believe what they got to take care of. Trust me. And so it was our first job, making sure the spit wads were off the walls. The kids would put stuff down the toilets and making sure the plunger was plunged and all the stuff that needed to be done. That was our, that was our ministry responsibility. And we were glad to do it. We were glad to do it. And then we would, we would kind of graduate to the next thing. And then my, my wife and I felt called to leave Rockford, Illinois, to go full-time into ministry in Beloit. And so we did that. And we sold our house. And we made $10,000. It was back in 1990. And in 1990, $10,000 is just about $20,000 today. That's a lot of money still. And um, and uh, I remember having the cash. We just we we we, we rented a property in Beloit, and we had the cash. And my dad was raising money for the chairs. And I remember saying, I leaned over my wife, said, "Let's give it. Let's give the ten thousand dollars. Let's just do it. We'll buy the chairs." And she said, "All right, let's do it." And we gave the ten thousand dollars and and uh, excuse me, and to buy the chairs. 
And I remember my dad pulling me aside saying, son, he's, he had the check in his hand. He goes, son, he goes, I saw you gave this $10,000. That's the money you made in your house, right? I said, I said, yeah. He said, son, you don't have to give all this money. Look, he said, look, he said, you know, we don't need all that money. Just, just, just give some. That way you have some money that you can actually take and put it down in the house because you're going to need a house. My dad, man of faith and power, come on, somebody, was trying to talk me out of my blessing. Hallelujah. But he's just trying to be a dad. He's just concerned. He didn't know, maybe I'm going too far. I said, dad, you've been teaching me faith, and now I'm trying to walk by faith and not by sight. Don't steal my blessing. He cashed the check. Hallelujah. Praise God. Didn't take him long. Amen. So I'm just here to tell you that we were sowing seeds like crazy. Did not know the day would come that we would have this ministry here. Let's look again. Let's look again at what Jesus said, excuse me, in Mark chapter 4, verse 26. Mark 4, 26. He said this, the kingdom of God is, is as if a man should scatter seed or plant, sow seed on the ground and should sleep by night and rise by day. In other words, once he plants the seed, he ain't worried about it no more. He's not worried about it. He goes to bed on time, rises in the morning on time, goes to work, does his things, doesn't think about it again because he knows that the mystery of seed will take care of itself. My job is to release the seed, put it in the ground, and it will happen. Because then it goes on to say, and the seed should sprout and grow. He himself does not know how. He don't care. He don't concern himself with knowing the scientific background of how a seed germinates and becomes a plant. He doesn't care. For the earth yields crop by itself. All it needs from you is your seed. First the blade, then the head. And after that, the full grain in the head. In other words, once it's planted, there is a process. Everybody say a process. There's a process. In other words, you have the promise in the seed of the provision that you need, but you've got to go through the process of faith to get it. So in other words, when you put it in the ground, it's there. You don't see it anymore. You've got to walk by faith every day knowing that God will provide for you. When the season and cycle has, come on, has been completed, he will provide for you. Everybody say, today I choose to walk by faith. That's called the process. And the process, when you're in the process, you are tempted to go back, dig up that seed, and start eating it because what's in your hand is easier, come on, on you and your psyche to just go ahead and eat it. But that meal's for one day. If you leave it in the ground and let God go take you through the process, you're going to yield 30, 60, 100 fold into your life. Come on, somebody. And again, this ministry was birthed by the plan of God, and we didn't know at the time, but God we was stirring our hearts to start a ministry, start a church, and we didn't know how or where, and we didn't want to be disloyal to my folks and to the church there, but we just knew that God was calling us to do it. And so uh, uh, we started making plans and uh, praying about it and, and, and just seeing what God would do. And we felt led to start a church in Madison, Wisconsin. And, and that was in the, in, the, in the spring of 1997. And, um, and so we were, we were excited about it. We were dreaming about it. We went and we planted that. We got permission and, and we, we got approval and, and we did the right thing. We went through the process properly and, and we went and, and started this church and we just couldn't get it to grow. I mean, we were doing all the right things. I was praying. I was preaching. I was. Uh, I, I provided a nice place for us to have church. It was small, but it was clean. It was nice, and and uh, and we had the advertisement, and and we went out. And we we fed people. We had spaghetti dinners, and we did stuff for the children. All these things because we wanted to be a blessing to the city. We were, we felt called to be to be there, and so we were trying our best to do everything we could. And it just was like something was missing, or something that wasn't quite 
there yet or wasn't right or hadn't yet come to fruition. And so we were thinking about all kinds of different things to do. And all of a sudden, I'm, I'm up preaching. And, and, and on a Sunday morning, I, and after I get done preaching, I, I go into my office. And the Spirit of God comes upon me. Now, people are waiting for me to come out. But the Spirit of God's on me. And he begins to speak to me. And I have a vision. When he speaks to me, he says, you're in the wrong place. I need you in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. But I'm here to tell you, I'm here as a result of that. She's here as a result of that. But had we not went through the process and obeyed God and even went to Madison, Wisconsin to understand that wasn't it, but this is that. Come on. Sometimes you look at things as a failure, but it's a part of the process you got to go through. Just like Joseph, he had to go through the, the pit, had to go through Potiphar's house and be lied on, had to go through the prison. But the day came, he was at right hand of Pharaoh in Egypt. I'm here to tell you, don't look at what you're going through as your tribulation. It's going to cause you nothing but defeat and misery and nothing more than the failure. That's just your transition spot to get you where God's called you. I wish I could preach in this place today. But when the grain ripens, immediately he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Let me make the statement. God can't give you what you're unprepared to manage. If you're not prepared for the harvest and you're prepared to manage it, you will not receive it. But if you'll make the preparation in the process, the promise will bring you the provision. I can't say that twice. I hope you got that by the Spirit. Luke 13, 6, look at it. He also spoke this parable, Jesus did. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. And, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. Then he said to the keeper of his vineyard, Look, for three years I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. What does he say to the man in the vineyard? Cut it down. They were pretty strong words. Jesus was saying this, I want you to deal with it. If there are areas in your life that produce no fruit because a fruitless life is a frustrated life, if there's areas in your life of frustration because there's been no fruit, God is asking you to deal with it. And you're saying, God, I want you to deal with it. But he told the farmer, I want you to deal with it. Now, what are we going to do? Are we going to obey God or ask God to come and take care of it? He's not taking care of your situation. He anoints you. He, come on, somebody. <laughs> he didn't promote you to that place so he can run it for you. He's going to give you wisdom and understanding and an anointing to get the job done. The Bible says you don't call Christ up from, the, from below and you don't call him down from above. He said the word is near you, in your heart, in your mouth, the word of faith which we preach. Well, Lord, I just want you to come down. I, I, I want you to come down and heal all the people and freighted, Lord God, for by your stripes they're healed. Lord, just empty all those hospital rooms. No. He said, you go lay hands upon the sick and they shall recover. If you're in the church, you say, you call for the elders of the church. Come on, somebody. And they'll anoint you with oil and pray the prayer of faith. And the sick will be raised back up. Am I talking to at least two or three people today? Are you tracking with me so far? Look, we, we, we like the Jesus that shows us mercy. We like that Jesus in the poster or the picture with the lamb around his shoulders. We love that Jesus sitting on that rock with a big smile, all those kids smiling, playing to his feet. 
Come on, somebody. We love that Jesus, and I love that Jesus too. And there is an aspect of that Jesus that is very, very real and very powerful. But I'm going to tell you something. The Bible says he left, or he came as the Lamb of God. But when he comes back, he's coming back as the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Woo, Jesus. So we like Jesus to be our merciful Jesus. We like that. But we have trouble with the Jesus that holds us accountable. That makes me responsible. That tells me I've got to handle it. I've got to manage my business. Cause we, I'm going to be nice because we have visitors. Hallelujah. I'm going to tell you the truth. We love to play the blame game. So when we say, God, you got to do something about it, we're blaming him. He gave this life to you, and he gave it to me. He lives inside of us. He will grant us wisdom. He will utilize our thoughts, and, and he will help us. He will engage with us. But he will not remove you. I feel that, did somebody turn the smoke machine on? Or is that the glory of God coming in here? Praise God. I swear I just saw smoke come off that pulpit. I don't know if I should go back there or not. Hallelujah. Amen. No, he's, gonna, he's making you responsible. And we like that merciful Jesus. We like the Jesus, Lord, just come help us, Lord. And when we were, we were, when we were young in the Lord, he did. Because we we're babies. And when you're babies, mom and dad's got to do everything for you. You can't even burp on your own. Am I right? But when you get older, come on, it's a little weird to tell your mom when you're 35 years old, can you burp me? I think you understand what I'm, I'm saying here. My, my, my point is, is that we've got to understand that he makes us responsible. He wants us to learn to manage. Remember, God created man to manage, manage rather what he created. When God made the, all the heavens and the earth, he said, now I put you in the garden. You till the ground. And the Bible says that he seeded the earth, that, that the ground was seeded with everything that man would ever need, ever eat or have pleasure in just being under a tree. It all came out of the ground. There was seed in the earth. But the Lord sent no rain on the earth until man was created to till or to manage the ground. If the rain don't come, the harvest can't come. So if you're wondering why it's been so dry lately in your life, it's because I wonder, I wonder if it's because if you're not ready or prepared to manage the harvest, he wants to bring you. Because once the rain comes, the harvest is coming. Are we ready to take responsibility for what God is showing us or wanting us to have in our lives? The seeds are in the ground. And by the way, just let me say this prophetically. I didn't say this first service. It just comes to me now by the Spirit. And that is, there's seeds in the ground everywhere. So when I preach this morning, there's already seed in the ground, spiritually speaking. And the rain, the Bible says, comes, and it falls upon the just and the unjust. So that means anything that's in the ground is going to come out. So sometimes when you have meetings that are powerful and strong, services where the Spirit of God is moving, you will have God doing all kinds of miracles, and you will have the devil show up right in the middle of the meeting. 
Because whatever in that soil, when the rain of the anointing of the Holy Ghost comes, everything in the ground is coming up. Everything gets exposed. And when he starts dealing with your life, every seed that's been planted in you is coming up. The weed, come on, and the tares. And you got to let them cut up, come up, before you can get the harvest. Come on. Then you separate. I was down in Beloit, our sister church. We had a Holy Ghost couple meetings. Some of you were there. Power of God showed up. It was amazing. They're still in the middle of a move of God. That catapult, he called me the other day and said, Pastor, if you would, I'm, not, I'm not tooting my own home. This is what he told me. He said, had you not come, we wouldn't have what we have. With a fire of God is showing up in our services. We have more people coming than we've had before. He said, it's a, God is doing miracles. We've had people healed of cancer. God is doing miracles. It's incredible. I said, wow. Praise God. He said, yeah, but we had two of our great couples leave the church. I said, why? He said, they didn't like you. There were some things I said in that meeting. I brought some correction. And when I brought the correction, they got offended. The problem wasn't me. The problem was I came with the anointing, and whatever was there manifested itself. He said, but don't worry about it. We're happy they're gone. They're going somewhere else. Praise God. We don't want anybody to be unhappy in our church anyways. We want to move with God. If they don't want to move, that's fine. Let them go somewhere else. Come on, we're ready for more. He said, God's sending five more couples to take their place. I said, I don't know if I feel bad or good. I'm not sure what it is. I want to feel good about it. But the truth is, I feel great about it, honestly, because I recognize that's a part of the anointing. So, so, Jesus is revealing, church, the heart of the Father in Luke chapter 13. He's revealing the Father's disappointment over not seeing an investment on the seed that he had sown. That's what we're reading about. Let's look at it again, verse 7 through 9. Then he said to the keeper of his vineyard, look, for the three years, this is the master talking to the keeper of the vineyard, the manager of the vineyard. Look, for three years I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. He said, cut it down. Why does it use up the ground? That's the heart of the Father. He is displeased. He is disappointed that he trusted the farmer to take care of the vineyard. And why in the world is this thing taking up ground? You could have uprooted this thing and put something else in that would bring forth fruit. I don't like this. I want to see things produce in my kingdom. Watch this. But he answered and said, who answered? The manager of the vineyard. Answered who? The master, the owner of the vineyard. And said to him, sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and fertilize it. What is he doing? Watch this church. He's beginning to intercede. The master says, I'm done. It's over. You're wasting my time. This thing's fruitless. Cut it down. You should have had this out months ago. It's been three years and nothing's happened. I don't like this. I'm not comfortable with this. I'm very disappointed. I'm angry about it. And he said, sir, let me go ahead and try one more time. What's he doing? He's saying, I believe in this. I know it doesn't look good good. I know it hasn't produced the fruit, but I truly believe in it. That's what the spirit of intercessory prayer is all about. Just because you haven't seen the fruit, 
doesn't mean that it's not going to happen. It just hasn't happened yet. And maybe it's... I feel the Holy Ghost! And maybe it's simply because we haven't dealt with it. Maybe we needed the Father to say, cut that sucker down. And we go, oh, wait, no, oh, wait, oh, wait, oh, wait. I, I, and all of a sudden you start going, I probably should. I haven't been there. It's been three years. I could have done something about this three years ago, but I didn't. But if you'll just give me another chance, if you just give me one more shot, let me go. I know you're ringing. Let me go and just give me one more time. I'll fertilize it. I'll, I'll water it. I'll dig around it. I'll do my best. I'll manage it properly. Please. Give me a chance to make this thing work. How many of you are glad that God gave you a second chance? Come on, church. How many can say, thank you, Jesus, for not cutting me down? How many of you can give God praise that he fought for you when you couldn't or wouldn't fight for yourself? How many of you can throw your hands up right now and give God a shout that he still believes in you and wants to work with you in spite of you? Come on! And he said, the manager said, if it bears fruit after I do this, then well. But if not, after that, you can cut it down. I believe the master of the vineyard was looking to give this man away. He wasn't mad at the tree. He was disappointed at the servant for not dealing with the issue. Why you wait year three for this to happen? But I'm so glad that you saw the light now. I'm so glad you're fighting for it now. This is not going to be your failure. This is going to be your transition. You're going to transit, and there's going to be more fruit than you can shake a stick at. Church, I don't know about you, but it's very difficult to continue to give in to something that you don't see a return on. It's hard to pour into a marriage when it's a one-way street. It's hard to give to your children when they're disrespectful and rebellious. It's hard to bless your family members when all they do is take. It's hard to love your coworkers when they talk about you behind your back. It's hard when you expected so much and got so little back in return. It's difficult. Let me ask you, how long would you work for your employer if he wouldn't pay you to work there? I mean, you might give it a day if he says, give me a couple days. You might even give it a week if he asks you to give you a week. But after a week, you're going to go, hmm, do I really want to go and break my back and get up so early and fight the traffic and go in there and put up with all that stuff at work for 40 hours and maybe I might get paid? I don't think so. No, you didn't work for nothing. You might donate your time, but you got to make a living. You got to support your children. You got to take care of your house stuff, your car. You got to take care of what's going on in your life. Somebody say amen. No, we work because we believe that at the end of this, we're going to reap something in return. So difficult to feel like you're the one putting out and nothing's coming back. Can I tell you that even Jesus found this difficult when it was a one-sided nurtured relationship? That even Jesus found it very difficult? You know, they kept coming to Jesus. Think about this, church. They kept coming to him, and they wouldn't stop. Once they knew there was a healer, a deliverer, a savior, um, a, a friend, uh, um, somebody that, that delivers people out of demons, and I mean, all this. Once they knew, they all came. You didn't have to, you did not have to put on social media that Jesus was in town. They all knew he was in town. 
He wouldn't know his billboard. Amen. Because they knew he had the answers. And you know, Jesus, he was so wonderful. And he would minister to them. And he even had, was so tired. And he would have compassion. And he would keep ministering to them. But you know, he was all God. But he was all man too. He was God-man or man-God. So he had in himself, he would get tired. He would be hungry. He functioned like a man. And there was disappointment in our Savior as well. How do you know? He had preached and preached and preached, given and given and given, depleted himself over and over and over again. And then he looks to the crowd, and he says these words, Until you're able to drink my blood, until you're able to eat my flesh, you can have no part of me. I've given to you. What about you giving back to me? And the Bible says, from that point on, many walked away from Jesus. They refused to sow seed back into the source where they took it from. Ten lepers. One comes back. I thought there were ten, Jesus said. Yeah, yeah, they, they were. Uh, it must have been uncomfortable for the guy, you know. He came back to say, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. The other nine went about their business, and we don't have any record of them ever again. Probably never saw Jesus again. They took what they wanted and never even came back to say thank you. Come in this church. Eat all the resources. It's going to get quiet for a second, but you'll shout in a minute. Let me bring a little correction. And me, my wife, our staff, our leaders, this worship team, they're good. They're not good because they just get up there a minute before church service and say, play that one song. They're here on Monday nights, a couple hours, pouring it out. They're tired. They don't feel good. They got to come. They got to pour. It's going to be snowing soon. They'll come through the snow. They'll get through the ice. They, they make it for to be here. Our children's directors, uh, the people that work in our, our, our community team, you name it. They, 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 they put it on the line week after week. We all do. And what are we doing? We're depleting ourselves and depleting. We're pulling it out of us week after week after week. I thank you. And I, I believe that you, you respect that. And what are we trying to do? We're trying to prepare an atmosphere in this house that when you get here, you and your friends and the, your visitors will feel a warmth and there will be a fellowship here and, and they'll feel the presence of the Lord and we want them to have an experience with God through praise and worship and the word of God to be strong and powerful. We want signs, wonders, and miracles to be in this place. I was here, look, I'm not doing this to garnish any type of uh, sympathy, but I was here at 1 o'clock this morning. I couldn't sleep, got in my car, came down here at 1 o'clock in the morning, spent two hours before the throne of God in this place. I do not say that for you to go, oh, let's feel bad. That's not me. I'm not trying to do that. I'm just trying to, I take this stuff seriously serious. It's hard when you take it serious, but 90% of the crowd does not. Amen, church. And we come. We want you to have a place where you can bring your friends to see Jesus and, and souls can be one and children can learn about the Lord. And we, 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 we gladly deplete ourselves. We gladly, week after week, what fills me back up? What fills us all back up? When you come and you partake. You're not sitting at home with the Green Bay Packers. 
I don't care about the football game. Watch it. That's great. Not against anything like that. I like going to the movies myself. But if a movie is more important to you, when you know more about the actors and the directors in the movie than you, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, something's out of order here. Can we just be real? Come on. What's he saying? He's saying your tree is dead. It's not producing. It's been three years. What's he saying? Give it some attention. Amen. And we gladly, when you come with your tithe, your offering, when you come with your talents, when you come with your abilities, when you come just to hear the word of God and get in his presence, it fills me personally as your pastor back up. And I want you to be part of this church. Matter of fact, we had an incredible program called Growth Track. And if you want to be along, belong to this church or at least learn more about it, sign up today, man. It's an express. You'll have it at the end of the month. They'll tell you all that you need to do. But sign up for Growth Track today. Look at Galatians chapter 6, verse 6. Let him who is taught the word, that's me, share in all good things with him who teaches. Come on. Or that's you, rather. And me are the ones that teach. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. So you sow in this church, you can reap from the church. There's people in your life you wish they loved you. But when was the last time you sowed a seed of love into their life? How are you going to reap love from them when you haven't sowed any seeds of love to them? Come on now. We're getting this backwards. We're saying, no, you give me first and I'll give you. That's not how it works. That's not the kingdom. The kingdom is if a man should scatter seed in the ground. Amen. I'm trying to help you. God will not be mocked. Whatever you sow, you reap. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, please. And Jesus gave... Himself gave some to the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Watch this. Till we all come to the unity of the faith. Uh, let me make this statement. No one should be elevated above someone else. No one should elevate somebody and diminish another person. Why? Everyone has a place. Everyone has the, their share. And we're supposed to work in unity together. And of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children, because kids say, Mine, mine, mine. <laughs> Tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who's the head Christ, from whom the whole body is what? Joined and what? Knit together. We're supposed to come together. Together. Not being separated, but togetherness. Watch this. By what every joint supplies. Y'all know, uh, y'all saved? Talking about this joint right here. Just making sure, okay? Oh, this church is pretty liberal. Supply some joints, all right. No, no, no. These joints. <laughs> According to the effective working by which every part does is what? Share. Every part does share. What happens then? 
causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Church, God has called us to be givers, always thinking how we can give. Why? It's natural. Why? Because we serve the greatest giver that ever was. Our Father loved us so much that he gave his only begotten son, his greatest gift to you and I. It is in us to be givers. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 8, freely you have received, freely what? Give. Hoarders and takers are not the calling of the believer. But here's what's interesting to me in Matthew 10. We're supposed to give it all away, right? Matthew 10. But look what it says in Luke 14, verse 16. Then Jesus said to him, a certain man gave a great supper and invited many and sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, come, for all things are now ready. So get the preparation, uh, get the, uh, the uh, vision of God making preparation for his people to come. And now everything's ready. But they all with one accord began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must go and expect it or see it. I asked you to have me excused. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm going to test them. I asked you to have me excused. Still another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and reported these things to his master. Then his master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city. He's in other words, he's saying, bypass them. Not any of these excuses. And bring in here the poor and the maimed, the lame and the blind. And the servant said, Master, it is done as you commanded. And still there's room. Then the master said to the servant, he's not done. He don't like this room stuff. He wants things filled up. He said, go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of those men who are invited shall taste my supper. I don't think i got to preach too hard on that. I think that's pretty self-explanatory. We understand who the master is. The servant would be the pastor, and he's trying to get everybody in the house, and they keep having one excuse after the other. The master was saying, I wanted you to be first, but now you're going to be last. And those that were last are now going to be first. By the way, that's what the tithe and offering is all about. As we deplete our resources here in this church week after week to occupy this space, 4901 South Howell Avenue, aren't you glad when you went to the restroom maybe last week or today that there was toilet paper in them stalls? Can I get a good amen out of that? You use it, what ha happens? It doesn't matter. God doesn't go, send the angels the toilet paper to faith builders today. They're out. No. We send Pastor Reuben to wherever he goes. I don't know. He goes to toilet paper land. I have no idea. It's the best prices. I know him. And, and we, we, we had to go and we have to replenish. Amen? There's supplies, heat, lights, electricity, things going on. I, I mentioned many of them. Um, <clears throat> to reach the unreached, to build the church, to serve the city, expensive. 
to preach the gospel, feed the hungry, clothe the naked, take care of the less fortunate, promote revival, uh, salvation, healing, deliverance, restoration. All that is depleting week after week after week. So the tithe and the offering was instituted to fill his house back up. I'm not, look, I get to live, someone said, I live on the 90, God allows me to live on 90%. All he wants is 10%. No, I give him 10% of what I earn. I'm actually living on the 100% I'm supposed to. 90% is your 100%. Because I'm not here to take care of me and mine only. I'm here to take care of the kingdom of God. I'm going to stand before God, and he's not going to say, hey, did you like your job? Was it enough for you and your family? You're giving account for what he gave you. Did you bury your talent? Or did you take it and did you invest it in the kingdom? Because the man that buried his talent, he said, I was afraid. He said, that was your first problem. You were so afraid. He said, now get out of my kingdom. You're merciful, Jesus. You're sheep carrying, Jesus. You're playing with the kids, Jesus. Said, get out of my kingdom. Yes. Called him a wicked and lazy servant. I know we don't have them here at Faith Builders. I'm just trying to tell you what Jesus said about them other people. So that tithe and offering fills or replenishes things back up. The seed that's planted produces the harvest. So again, in closing, why should the farmer, the manager, continue to believe in the tree that has not yielded fruit when all he has to do is replace it? Because he knows that if he'll bring correction to the tree by pruning it and fertilizing it and watering it, it will come back to life and it will be fruitful. And remember the first managers in, the, in Genesis, Adam and Eve, he said, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. I wonder, do we have any farmers in this place this morning that will have the care and the guts to bring their fruit back from the dead? I wonder, do we have any, uh, some people here uh, this morning that understand <clears throat> if they'll make some corrections in their field, God will give you more fruit and you know what to do with. I wonder if there are some people here this morning that will be willing to do whatever it takes to bring their harvest back from the brink. You can do it. You are the manager after all. You can repent and make things right. You can start today. John 15, 8, Jesus said, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. So you'll be my disciples. Glorified here means to be like God. It is God's will for our lives to be like him. And to be like him means we're to bear much fruit. I just got to take care of my life. I got I to go back to saying, I, I got to get out of hope going one day it's going to happen when I know in my heart I've done nothing to fix the problem. But if I'll go back, repent, Make things right. All of a sudden, fruit will begin to come back into my life again. Somebody say amen. That's just round two of the seed effect. Come on.